Hey there. This is week six of What Next? An Honest Conversation with the Book of Acts. Tonight, Ben and I wrap up the book, chapters 21 through 28. But maybe we've learned our lesson we don't even try and cover everything that could be said. We're glad you're here with us, and um, let's jump into it. Here we go. We're glad we're here, um, and we're glad that we can be together for this uh, last night. Not, it's not the last night, but it's the last section of the book, um, of the book of Acts. Next week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We'll tell you about that at the end um, of tonight. But we're so grateful that you're here and spending a little bit of time with us. Um, uh, Adam and I spent a little bit of time this afternoon talking about what we we're going to say tonight. We covered a lot of ground. There Again, this is one of those things where there's, there's plenty to cover, but there is... Um, a feel that while there's a lot going on within this text from chapter 21 to 28 as we wrap it up, there is a sense that it's kind of all one big kind of collision um, of things that, that's taking place here. It's kind of Paul um, coming face to face with a lot of power. So, um, so we're going to tackle that tonight. We're going to talk about it from a couple of different angles. We're probably going to be talking a little bit more um, big brush strokes, maybe then kind of diving deep into particular instances of the text. Uh, but I think that will be good for us uh, as we kind of wrap up the whole of the book this first time around. Again, next week, we're going to do a larger reflection um, on reading this, this entire book together. But uh, before we do that, let me open this up with a quick word of prayer. Let's pray. Oh God, your spirit moves in ways that we uh, cannot see and understand, but we can feel deep in our bones. Uh, you call us to live into uh, a trusting uh, relationship with that spirit, one that uh, takes a step of faith, takes a leap of faith often uh, to be your witness in this world. So God, as we read this scripture together tonight, might we continue to do it faithfully? Might we do it with ears that are seeking to hear an opinion or a voice that we may not have heard before? Um, and might we do it with the wisdom um, and a courage to act on it in the ways that you call us to? God, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Awesome. Amen. Adam, you off mute? Yeah. Rock on. Cool. Just checking. Sweet, man. So, uh, Kick us off, dude. Uh, like, let's let's talk. Um, yeah, I actually had a question that we didn't talk about earlier, so I'm going to throw you a curveball. Oh, great! This. Uh, so the first night we talked about, we brought up reading strategies and how we do this. I'm yeah. curious about um, what kind of questions have been ringing in your ears as you walk through the text this week. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, the big, um, I mean, I think that the big question for me in the past week has been, there, there's like so much going on um, in the world yeah. as there has been for a long times that, um, that you, uh, you just wonder even what the next day is going to hold and you kind of wonder what the next response is going to be. And I just wonder, um, 
my big thing is not so much it kind of is the big question of what next. I mean, it kind of is that bigger question of like, how do we respond? But like, what does a faithful response look like? I think in the midst of when yeah. so much is going on, not yeah. so much what to do, but what does a faithful response look like? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like it's, it's because I, I feel like there's some, you know, we have this big question of what next and, and we are going to answer that question or we're going to play with that question a little bit more next week as we think about the whole book. Um, mm-hmm. but I think for me, it's just like, what, like, I, I don't know if I have an answer for like, what is the next best thing that we should do? But, yeah. but perhaps, uh, perhaps this is the question that's been sitting with me that this text is illuminated a little bit, but is how best should we be or how best, um, how best do we remain faithful? Um, sometimes that calls us to do things. Sometimes that calls us to sit with things. Um, you know, so that's, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, this has been, it's been interesting because like the, the weight of this week hasn't felt quite as heavy as the week before. Like, I don't, I don't know, maybe it was the brief um, respite that I had just, we were with uh, Gabby's family for Father's Day and her sister graduated from um, her residency program. So it was a little bit of like checking out for a little bit for about 24 yeah. hours. And maybe that was it. But the news cycle didn't feel quite as heavy as I thought it was going to. Um, so, sure. You know, what about you, ma'am? Yeah, I mean, I've been, um, I've felt like perhaps the church is walking into this precarious space mm-hmm. of um, being caught in on a lot of different sides from a lot of different forces, right? Mm-hmm. One example is... An example, yeah, right, okay. Um, the need to like truly respond to the emotional and spiritual needs of the people who are tender churches, but also the real need to tend to their safety in our attempt to love our neighbor through not spreading this pandemic. Right. So caught in that kind of strange negotiation. On the other hand, we're coming up on an election cycle that will certainly play on fears and strategies and languages of various different expressions of the Christian faith on all different sides. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And as that's beginning to ramp up, I'm feeling just already feeling some of the kind of um, positioned anxiety of somebody who works in a church in that. Um, And I think also there's this need people who, people who don't work at churches may not know it and, you may be so deeply embedded in it that uh, it just feels like a kind of everyday thing for you. But this kind of acknowledgement that there's a rising urgency just to meet the everyday needs of our community. Right. Um, And that kind of wave of need isn't, it's not cresting anytime soon. It doesn't feel like it, you know? Um. And similarly, just with a with a kind of space of radical instability for all sorts of reasons, right? Um, it feels like the church should have an urgent word to say mm-hmm. in the midst of mm-hmm. the shifting sands. And I'm not sure what that is, mm-hmm. you know? And so I've... I'm coming out of this space in my life where I really firmly believed what the church's position was in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, I come out of a, a radical Christian tradition that often views the church as a counter witness to the state. Mm -hmm. So that, um, and a, as a kind of people set apart to enact a kind of holy justice, you know, um, and holy life as an example and witness, but that's often pretty removed from the machinations of the economy or the machinations of um, the state mm -hmm. because it seeks to live a radically nonviolent form of life. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I'm finding myself coming to a different perspective in the midst of all of this. I mean, I already was on that trajectory out of that kind of vision, but um, right. So I think through the kind of what, what direction, I mean, like, what's your, like, say a little bit more about that, about the, the idea of like, you're yeah, leaving that world, but it is, it's less of, it's a less of a, of a defining characteristic of your faith tradition now. Yeah. Like I'm, um, it, it, to be really frank, like in 2008, I was a part of a movement of Christians who were like, we're not going to vote. You know, we're not going to exercise our right to vote mm -hmm. because either candidate will perpetuate the war on terror and like cause more violence. And so we're not going to participate in that structure of violence. Right? Um, then in my time in the nonprofit world, I realized that the livelihoods of so many people that I cared about mm -hmm. relied deeply on the decisions that were made in those places of power. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I re recognize that like perhaps the role of the Christian is not to unplug right. from the entire fully. Right. Um, and so I've been trying to negotiate what that could mean, you know? Right. Right. Uh, and I think in the second half of this book, I've been kind of wrestling with this question of like, what is it? Where do we see the spirit? How do we see the spirit negotiate those spaces? Right. Um, because in the first half, it's pretty clear, like, I'm very comfortable in the first half of the book because it's like religious spaces the whole time. Right. They're speaking the same. It's a, it's a conversation about how to be faithful. Right. You know? um, it's the second half that I think has always troubled me. I mean, uh, like reading these last seven chapters, every seven times that I've read this book, I hate it. Like just couldn't, can't stand, you know, yeah. couldn't stand in the past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are the questions. I think that's the question I'm trying to ask answer right now is like how does the spirit how does the church how do we as disciples negotiate a kind of full life you know um without kind of abdicating our responsibility to speak into all of these places yeah and yeah, yeah so does that make sense what i'm saying yeah i think i mean it does the 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 thing like it's um i mean it's it's easy to to look at the to to be super excited about the pentecost moment and to be super excited about this new spirit and like this this thing that's new that's kind of calling calling um calling to new and exciting things yeah right where you're going to the the um the ethiopian eunuch you're going to the uh you know whoever it may be cornelius you're going to like and you're kind of doing this really exciting and engaging work that's set aside from the system 
right? It's not, I mean, it's, 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 you're, you're kind of ministering and being among and being with and sharing the presence of God um, to people who have, who are also victims of the system, right? And now you're right. going into the belly of the beast. The spirit is kind of like leading Paul on this like pinball type of experience of being pushed through this system of like having to go to this power and then this power and then this yeah. power and this power. And there's a sense in which there's no denying for Paul that the religious life and following the ways of the spirit and the political life are merged together. I mean, they yeah. are totally one. There's no way of saying that they're running parallel to one another. No, uh, they're yeah. enveloped and, and, and blended into one. So I can see how like, you know, talking about 2008 kind of saying creating this, not this alternative way of life, um, but, but this alternative way of life, I guess, that was unplugged from the world versus yeah. how to be in a, how to live in an alternative way of life, engaging constantly in that world and in that empire yeah. and in that system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a fine line to, to, to walk and it's, it's a, it's a tough line to walk because it's, um, because it, it can feel def defeating. It would, I mean, it can, in certain moments, it can feel exhausting. I mean, you're kind of like looking at Paul in this whole second half or these last seven chapters. And it's like, he sat there for two years in prison, just kind of like constantly getting an opportunity to like get out. If he just played the game, he doesn't. Um, right. That's just so exhausting to think about. And I think that sometimes right now we kind of maybe identify because it can feel exhausting right now to, to be in this moment um, and to go through the next political cycle and wave of love elections and the, and the, the talking heads on, on news and stuff. And, um, and yet there's a sense of like, there are times when we have to check out uh, and there are some, and there are times that we have to engage, but as in the Methodist tradition, our world is, is not to separate ourselves at all, but like right. John Wesley, the, the whole Methodist movement was like, you engage it like completely you're in it and you are there. And that is, um, there's not really a parsing out of this kind of, uh, of these like fragmented life and faith. There, there's not the fragment right. of the faith of like, this is my political life and this is my right. religious life and this is my, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I also, I want to clarify the space I'm coming out of was like your participation in the church was a political participation in the kingdom of heaven, which precluded your participation from seeking power or seeking to exert power. Right. Um, so yeah, but yeah, that's, I think my, my, my worry is, is the real seduction of that, mm -hmm. the real seduction of engaging. And I think I've just seen so many people that in a lot that I had a lot of respect for become seduced by the power of the legislative ball or the, you know, the, um, and really compromise, you know, like really compromise their faithfulness. And I think, yeah, the, like Paul doesn't mm -hmm. <laughs> here. Right. Um, I read I read Paul very differently now than I did even just two years ago, I think, or three years ago. How how so? What did you think about Paul then? Versus now? when I when I read Paul then, uh, or when I was much younger, maybe I read him as like his appeal to his citizenship. Uh, his Roman citizenship, I thought was like such a cop out. Yeah. Like I was so frustrated by it. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that like 
becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven was renouncing your citizenship to the state mm-hmm. in some ways. And then the kind of um, his, what I read as his oral arguments just felt full of like hubris and arrogance to me, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's not well loved among like biblical scholars. I mean, it's not like it's right. not a universal thing that everyone just thinks Paul's an amazing person. I mean, I remember clearly right. in divinity school some professors being like, "Paul is a complete blank," and like, yeah, just being like, "No one has ever said that about Paul before in my <laughs> little world." Like, I've never thought about that. So that's not right. Um, yeah, yeah, but, and I think that it. those are the conversation. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying you you, you can kind of get it once if you at a first pass of, especially of Acts, um, and then some of his language of other books, uh, you just yeah. kind of like, mm, this guy is a little bit full of himself and a little bit kind of uh, just thinks he has it all figured right. out in a way, right? And he's got all the answers. And he's he's trying to be like the second Jesus. Uh, or the, right. That's what the argument was. Like, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I, I read it just like in this really strange compromise position. Like, like maybe he was trying to manipulate the system in order to have an audience with the most powerful person, you know, like, right. Um, Playing the game. He was kind of, yeah. And I yeah. hated that. I hated it. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, now I read, I mean, we'll talk about the, the citizen disciple thing mm-hmm. um, in a bit, but now I read Paul as somebody who like, one of the reasons I think he's struggling to look at is like, he actually believes he yeah. actually believes this. Right. And I don't think, I mean, if we're really honest, I don't think we come across people who actually believe um, often. I think the way belief functions now is always a qualified belief, not just religious belief, but all kinds of, you know, like, um, I think it's probably pretty, I know that you had classmates in divinity school. I certainly did who, and I was that classmate who was always like, yeah, 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 I believe, I believe Jesus Christ is is Lord and Savior. I believe God exists and all of that kind of stuff. But I don't know if I do, (laughs) you know. um, And I think one of the troubling things about watching Paul is he doesn't have that. Well, I don't know if I do. Right. It's like there's, it's kind of, it's a reckless sense of like belief, right? Um, Right. uh, In a world that is defined so, so much by law and custom and, um and almost logical argumentation right like all of that type of piece he's just like this is it Uh, you know um right yeah and it's troubling to engage with somebody like that like it's 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 like (laughs) right and it's scary to see yeah i think so the whole second half just seems like a, a look at what like a um an unqualified belief system looks like um and and perhaps, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a case study in it, at least, uh, and, and we see an example of it, but like, what does that look like today? You know? Yeah. It's yeah. That, I mean, like, this is the question that I always have. It's like, what, what would it mean if I actually believe, you know, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? Right. right? Um, and like fully bought into all of it. It's, it's hard for me to think like, oh, there's a lot about my life that would be pretty different. Yeah if if i was just like no this is fully it like um i'm not hedging my bets you know i believe that the spirit's going to guide me i just yeah i i don't um 
I have a lot of questions. I don't know. But I think what Paul does is press against my notion of the kind of reasonable, you know, uh, the reasonable believer. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I found myself really struck by that. And the whole section is just like, whoa, like, maybe this is what that means. Maybe it means that like you, you bear witness and you believe in every single space you're in. Like, and that's a, that is a hard, hard thing. One, it's a hard thing to do. And like, and Paul just does it in, in a way that's almost like, Paul, keep it down, dude. Like we're in, no like, we're in, a, we're in like a different kind of like, you know, those people are with Paul. It's like, whoa, chill, dude. Do you, yeah. like, do you have to bring up Jesus every time? Like, 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 like <laughs> give it a second. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it seems a little bit like that kind of in some of these conversations. Uh, get to know the guy, dude. Uh, like, like <laughs> but yeah, he, he kind of comes in and it is, and it's a beautiful thing though, but, but it comes it, And I think we're going to talk about this in a second. And, um, we can talk about whenever we want though. Cause uh, you know, yeah. we, we kind of control these conversations. So uh, with the, the big thing too, is like testimony, like, like, and like how he talks about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, is really a powerful thing. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to, to see, to see that type of, uh, of language used. Um, it's a, it's a complete, it's its own genre almost of writing, right? It's, it's complete and a completely different or, or structure of argument, whatever it might be. It's right. The right word, you know, um, but it's a fascinating thing to do. And Paul does it. Paul's like the, like Peter and then Paul are essentially Peter, Stephen, Paul, right. Are kind of the people to do it. Um, yeah. Example of it at this point where it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. I was, I was thinking about that. That was one of the things that I was thinking about kind of in the whole arc of the book is that like, nearly every time an apostle is called to give an account of themselves before people who are a real threat mm -hmm. to them, they don't, they don't use any different kind of oratory tool. They just use testimony. Right. Um, and it's not like they're unfamiliar with these other tools. Like their lives are filled, you know, with orators and oratory technique yeah. all around them in the synagogue and yeah. public squares and like that is the tradition of rome and the tradition of israel is yeah you know um but isn't it so like so let's talk about that the the um the violence of language uh, of the traditional oratory <laughs> argument type thing where you conquer and you vanquish someone through argument uh -huh. versus testimony being a completely different way of speaking that is invitational. It is no longer that you don't even see violence in language mm. anymore. That's like this peaceful, that's like the, mm. that's the language of peace. That I think that comes out of an experience of Christ in a new way is oh, like you're in a world that says knowledge is everything, defeat everyone in argument. I mean, that's, that's true in Jewish culture. I mean, that's not just like a Rome thing. That's true right. in Jewish culture. I mean, um, that's true kind of, even if you go to some, countries just in culture if you've been to like north africa or the middle east you'll see people arguing in the streets for and you think that it's like going to get violent and come to blows that's just the way that people will kind of converse and in, in heated in debates it's not quite um it's completely different than what we do in the west and then they kind of hug it out and it's, it's all over you know it's like it's done but there is a violence kind of in that language and i think that this come runs completely counter to it it's, it's invitational right it, it brings people in it draws and says listen to my yeah. story 
um, like listen to listen to what my experience has been, and my experience um, kind of says something different about the way that the world like witnesses to something larger in the world that's beyond me, um, right? And points to something bigger. Um, yeah, I, don't know. I mean that makes me think of just like the typical way of engagement for for people who may not know. Divinity schools can be very heated, contentious yeah. spaces, and because we're all there because we believe something is at stake with what we believe. Right. And, um, and I come from studying philosophy, which is all argument and right. debate. And, um, yeah, it makes me think like in divinity school, I was never taught about testimony right. and certainly didn't practice that way of engaging about God with my classmates. Right. You know, it was this kind of debate and it may, it may have been very calm and measured in our tone of voice, but it was like, I was out for blood, you know, I was out yep. to like make sure that they knew that they were wrong. Yeah. And that, um, I had more kind of knowledge and resource behind my position. Um, so that they would come, you know, come in under my camp yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Right to win people over um yeah force versus you know or um, yeah the invitation piece so Oof. i never really thought about that we just started going down that road this violence is kind of inherent in language i think that's kind of an important thing to think about um because it's countercultural to all we do and 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 you're not going to see it at all in the election cycle right it is you're not going to see this invitation oh, right. language it's just totally the the um, violent use of language in order to force people to think a certain way um or do a certain thing uh, and, and, but that's the type of thing where I think we have to, as, as people of faith, as Christ followers, as Jesus, as disciples, engage the world in that way and continue to kind of massage the public conversations with this invitational language that's not rooted in trying to just win an argument. Um, and it's, yeah. it's, it's so countercultural to like, to, to, politics to business to everything right i mean it's just, right it's completely different so yeah good word ben cool let's uh so <laughs> where do you want what do you want to talk about now Adam? 30 minutes in right right let's get to actually what we were planning to talk about yeah. um so uh so this is kind of the, you used a word earlier saying that this was kind of a crescendo in the entirety of the book, right? It, this seems where 21 through 28 uh, is, is like the big buildup. We've talked about the spirit leading um, the disciples into kind of different facets of the world. And this seems to be where the whole, all of those different places that the disciples have engaged, or the spirit has led the disciples or apostles to engage, um, is now coming to a head. They're all kind of, they're all happening at once. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. So talk and conspiring a bit. with one another. Yeah. 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 So what, I mean, when you were talking about crescendo, like talk a little bit about that, like what powers are, is Paul facing in this? Like say a little bit about the, the powers piece. Yeah. I, th I thought, I thought that there was, it, it was really interesting that we kind of bring the way that it gets thrust as a kind of conspiring of, the high priests and Sadducees and Pharisees with the state power of Rome. Right. Right. Um, and we've seen this, this is, this is already a kind of mirroring of the journey, the path of Jesus. Right. Um, the exact same kind of use of the crowd, the mob kind of like 
playing on the fears mm -hmm. um, and then appealing to the state to kind of like deal with the threat. Right. The, um, so we see that, but then we see, we see Paul move not only in that space and then through the kind of Roman state space officially. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we see the impacts of the market. We see the impacts of the military there. We see the impacts of the kind of the real worries of an occupied people that like they will lose their Jewish identity and become fully assimilated to the processes of Rome. Like mm -hmm. we see glimpses of that. Mm -hmm. happening with some of the magistrates that are before them um so yeah we see all of we see all of those things come to bear on these last seven chapters that paul's body is being pressed in upon from from a crowd that turns into a mob from high priests and sadducees with the full force of their religious authority from rome and the state from the market and you know like mm -hmm. so this is where all of those things really come to a head, I think. And really, it's, it seems to be like that's that's kind of the position that we find ourselves mm -hmm. in. Like that's that might be where, uh, unfortunately, life isn't quite as um, cut and dry as the first twenty chapters of Acts, <laughs> right? where it's like where it's like you deal with one one little facet of life at a time. It's it's kind of like this whirlwind of all of the things that are. Uh, that the spirit has led you to confront or that your faith leads you to confront or deal with all mm -hmm. happen kind of at once. And it seems like they're all in on it together against. And you. I think, I think that that's really important that like, actually the, these last seven chapters made me go back and think about like, Oh, they've been present partners. You know, they've been kind of silent partners throughout the whole book. These other kind of forces. Yeah. They're never working independently of one another. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. The prisons that the apostles are in every time is a Roman prison, you know? Yeah, right, um, right. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit about um, the thing I, I liked, the thing I, I thought about a little bit, and, and Jennings, Willie Jennings, the guy that we've been reading a lot, uh, talks a little bit about this, but the idea of like Paul having to go back to Jerusalem uh, and just that uh, image and that parallel of, of the spirit, I mean, you see it like, the apostles are like, don't go back to, they're warning Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem. We know what's going to happen. And you just hear the parallels between everyone warning Jesus, like, you know, Jesus yeah. saved his face, like Luke, I mean, it's almost the same language of Luke, like same author, but uh, like he set his face towards Jerusalem. A similar thing happens here. Paul sets his face towards Jerusalem. It has to go back because he kind of knows what awaits him. And it made me start thinking about Jerusalem itself as both like a literal place, but also this kind of metaphorical place where the spirit leads us to, um, to perhaps confront a place that we've been before um, that that now that we have experienced and been out of Jerusalem and experienced something different, when we go back to it, it will no longer be the same that it was. And we're bound to face confrontation. Right. Um, like Jesus goes back into Jerusalem and he's like, he like knows that he's about to like face. Yeah. Rejection. Um, Paul knows that he's about to face rejection. And yet there's this sense that like the spirit leads there because God always 
leads us into those places where the where the threat of rejection is there. Like it's just, I mean, yeah. quite frankly, it's bound to happen. Yet that is the place. Maybe it's not always a literal city, but it's always a place that maybe that we're returning to. It might be that we're going to for the first time, but it's a place where the people think they know us, and we think we know them. And after experiencing Christ, it can be it can come to a, a different um, sure place of conflict. Place of conflict. yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I read the the re return to Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, I love that reading. I think that that's a great reading. This is not to press against that. Yeah. Just to kind of like add another layer. Yeah. As the, the thing that we've been reminded of a few times already in Acts, that this is the God of Israel. Mm. So even circling, Jesus circles back to the kind of center of like Israel's life with God. Paul even is circling that, you know, like that here again, they're coming to bring the word that like God is with us. God, you know, like raised Jesus from the dead. It's that kind of persistence of a God who is not convinced by his people's rejection of him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, that's so, but it's cost, you know, like cost, right. it's a costly thing. Yeah. Um, but it's that urgency of the spirit to like continue and in, in the the obedience of the disciples, yeah, to, to follow the spirit there, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so he so Paul goes back and he you know he gets arrested and he um, has to face um, a number of folks. But there's the line in there where he gets to the point where he's being um, he's before the like kind of tribunal, the Roman tri- tribunal, yeah, um, and all of a sudden word gets out that he's a Roman citizen and he confesses that he's a Roman citizen. Now you said a little while ago that you didn't like that. Like five years ago, you wouldn't have liked that. 10 years ago, you wouldn't have liked that idea. Um, why, like, why, like, why, why would you, I'm just wondering about, I mean, you said actually it's because you think that um, to, to become a member of the kingdom of God or to say kind of claim residency or citizenship of the kingdom of God, it means to renounce, citizenship of Rome like why do you think that what what do you are you okay with that statement now um no okay no no no. I'm opposed to that statement now okay cool I, I would like to go back and have a talk with my yeah. a very calm talk and compassionate talk like I understand why I firmly held right. that position and I'm sympathetic to that position yeah um it's but like more can... nuanced now but yeah yeah I mean it, it's coming from this place of if we are to do one thing, like our hope in Christ, right? Our hope in Jesus um, and belief should allow us to face down firmly the sufferings around us, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the like real machinations of what I've been listening to a lot of Cornell West. Yeah. The productions of social misery is what he calls it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the spaces I was brought into as a young person, it just felt very clear that a lot of the operations of the, the state um, in like a big S sense, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Caused social misery for people. Mm-hmm. Not for everyone, obviously, you know, like it made some people very happy and then it caused a lot of pain for a lot of other people. 
and it was impossible. And then, and then my reading of like the gospels was really like render under Caesar. What is Caesar's like, okay, he can have some money, whatever. Sure. Render under God. What is God's, which is like your whole life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I thought that those were really like, so you have nothing, you know, they have nothing to do with each other. Right. Um, and that our job was to kind of like work against the empire. Right, right. Um, which I still do think that to an extent. But um, yeah, now, what was that? I said you're always going to have that little, that, that, that part of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a punk rock shirt. Right. Like <laughs> punk um, yeah, now, now it's like way more different. I think what now, now my, my call to my younger self would be like far be it from you to decide what the spirit decides what to use and what the spirit decides not to use. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. who's to say that the spirit doesn't want to use your citizenship for the right. kingdom of God. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you don't get to make that call. There's a sense in which you, um, you've got that power. Like you've got that, um, that level of, privilege for mm-hmm. lack of a better yeah. word use it for something great to to for for something better than you're just your own doing and while it um while it gets them out of this like flogging essentially i mean it, it uh it it does um i don't think it's an excuse of paul so much as it is just a chance to say it's not like a save me, get me out of this situation, save my own skin type of situation. I mean, perhaps it is, but I think it's more of a spirit moving to say like, there's more work to be done and you can use that. As, you should use that card. I hate to say play that card, but you should use that citizen piece right now in order for you to continue this conversation and to continue to mm. push right yeah. a little bit further. It, for me, I, um, I, Jennings talks a lot, uses this language of disciple citizen, which is a fascinating kind of this dual disciple hyphen citizen. It's just this phrase he uses that I kind of have, have fallen in love with. Um, and, and it kind of locates not only those two factors of like who we are beside one another, both a disciple and a citizen of the state. Um, but he also kind of, hashes that out and parses that out about what that means for people in different parts of life, like in, in kind of the, um, the hierarchy of society, like it means very different things for people. Yeah. So you think for Paul, um, the, the way I just kind of read Paul, uh, and, and the disciples really is using his citizenship to kind of pass the mic, like to kind of like give mm. the microphone to someone else. And, and I can't help but read that in a lot of ways, the way that our role perhaps as um, as members of the white church right now in this moment is to like use that power. You, like our disciple citizenship is kind of very different right now, I think, than, um, than a person, uh, than any person of color, but particularly black people in the United States right now. And they're what their meaning of disciple citizen means, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's yeah. a, there was a, uh, a quote that kind of, that, that Jennings had in there that says, um, you know, he uses the language also of desperate citizenship. He talks about how desperate citizens are the disciple citizens kind of that speak from a place of like, they are citizens of the state and the being a citizen of the state 
isn't really like a great thing. It's not like, a, you know, a lot of us have used, I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. We kind of use that almost like a passport. It's a thing that kind of unlocks opportunities for us. It gets us into like, it's a, it's kind of this, um, the language of Jennings is this embroidery on the fine life that we already live. It's just kind of, we don't really think anything of it to be a U.S. citizen is a great privilege. It's a great honor. Um, it gives us a lot of options and a lot of flexibility. Um, but, but as a disciple citizen with in, like kind of located socially located there, I have the luxury to, to not always, particularly with my faith, not always travel into the world of politics. Like as a pastor, I can choose on Sunday mornings. Do I want to like bring in something political at all? I mean, is it my responsibility to, I can opt out and actually probably most people prefer I opt out, uh, like for the most part. Um, can I like not talk about what's going on right now and instead preach something different? Um, or am I called to like do something, uh, or am I forced to, for the desperate citizen, like for the black church, they, they have to talk about this right now, right? Yeah. They're not going to stop preaching about Ahmaud Arbery and about George, um, Floyd and about, uh, Breonna Taylor for a long right. time. I mean, like right. it is, it is just the reality because they're in a different position. Um, yeah, they are. And and I couldn't help but kind of see these as two worlds. Can I actually play a clip, Adam? I'm going to try something. Um, it, it got me thinking a little bit about this quote um, from James Baldwin. Um, James Baldwin was on the um, uh, a talk show 40, 50 years ago or so. And a man kind of confronts him for bring, always bringing up the questions of race. And it just kind of shows the difference in um in worlds between the disciple citizen who's like kind of at the higher echelon which paul is using his high status at this moment to kind of continue to do it versus someone who's kind of more of a desperate citizen i'm going to show a, a quick clip from here um just to see if i can get this going let's see you can always play james Baldwin, man i'm okay. down with james awesome let me see if i can do the screen share it may not work i don't i don't know i tried it before but um Great. You can hopefully see my screen now. Mm-hmm. Cool. So this is just like about, about a two-minute clip. I fast forward. Does a lot. emphasis upon black man and white does emphasize something which is here, but it emphasizes it or perhaps exaggerates it, and therefore makes us for, uh, put people together in groups which they ought not to be in. I have more in common with a black scholar than I have with a white man who's against scholarship. And you have more in common with a white author than you have with someone who's against all literature. So why must we always concentrate on color or religion or this? There are other ways of connecting men. I'll tell you this. When I left this country in 1948, I left this country for one reason only, one reason. I didn't care where I went. I might have gone to Hong Kong. I might have gone to Timbuktu. I ended up in Paris on the streets of Paris. With $40 in my pocket on the theory that nothing worse could happen to me there than it already happened to me here. You talk about making it as a writer by yourself. You had to be able then to turn up all the antenna with which you live because once you turn your back on this society, you may die. You may die. And it's very hard to be a typewriter and concentrate on that if you're afraid of the world around you. The years I lived in Paris did one thing for me. They released me from that particular social terror, which was not the paranoia of my own mind, but a real social danger visible in the face of every cop, every boss, 
everybody. I don't know what those white people in this country feel, but I can only include what they feel from the state of their institutions. I don't know if white Christians hate Negroes or not, but I know that we have a Christian church which is white and a Christian church which is, which is black. I know as Malcolm X once put it, it's the most segregated hour in American life is high noon on Sunday. That says a great deal for me about a Christian nation. It means that I can't afford to trust most white Christians and certainly cannot trust the Christian church. I don't know whether the labor unions and their bosses really hate me. That doesn't matter, but I know I'm not in their unions. I don't know if the real estate lobby is anything against black people, but I know the real estate lobbies keep me in the ghetto. I don't know if the Board of Education hates black people, but I know the textbooks that give my children to read and the schools that we have to go to. Now, this is the evidence. You want me to make an act of faith, risking myself, my wife, my woman, my sister, my children, on some idealism which you assure me exists in America, which I have never seen. Yeah. Let me try out. Yeah. I mean, for me, that, that there was just echoes of this whole conversation with kind of with Paul and, um, and this idea of just the disciple citizen piece, the idea of like living in the state and then having just the, the reality of it is, is um, people of power being able to have the experience right and being now, able to use that power. Sorry. We'll be seen tomorrow night at 930. That's me. Now stay tuned for Florida Forum. <laughs> Okay, that's off. Sorry, um, but I think that there was there's this sense of like uh, I can't remember my, really my full train of thought, but it was this idea that like the the disciple citizen um, the the Paul, the role that Paul kind of does with claiming the citizenship it says I have power right now, but I need to pass the mic and I need to testify to something that's larger than me, like larger than my own power. And I feel like there's a little bit of a hint of that with the the James Baldwin piece of just like two kind of different worlds. Some for some disciple citizen is a bold claim and it's a great opportunity for others. It is actually less of a um, of a privilege and more of a uh, of a burden in a way um, for some. And also, like I think, I think some of the move of the the desperate citizen, as Jennings puts it, is and maybe some of what Paul is occupying here is the move that like sometimes an appeal to your citizenship is the only thing that keeps violence from occurring to your body, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's the, the appeal to the fourth amendment, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, or the, uh, the cruel and unusual punishment. So, right. you know, like right. it's, it's that appeal that can allow people to survive. Right. You know, and that's a real, that's an act of concern for a lot yeah. of people in yeah. our space, you know, like, um, yeah. And, and I didn't understand that as a younger person. I don't yeah. think that like, yeah, that sometimes that appeal is a necessary appeal. Right. Right. Um, and that the spirit can use even that, you know, like right. in the face of immense pressure and, and, and terror. Yeah, the spirit, you know, can reach for any tool necessary. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so I want to make sure we are just being mindful of time. Um, <laughs> we, we kind of went way off on some folks uh, on, on some tangents uh, tonight. Um, I do want to bring in, though, uh, this conversation about uh, 
the two things about the Paul and the Felix piece, um, uh, that conversation, perhaps focusing specifically on, you want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, Tertullus. Um, yeah. Yeah, bring that in. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I was really struck with Tertullus. Um, well, Jennings unpacks, this is another thing that Jennings offers immense insight into, but um, one of the things that I really couldn't stand is he's coming to speak on behalf of the religious authority who are living in, an, they're an occupied people who are occupied by this empire. They're trying to protect their way of life from this empire, right? Mm -hmm. And the first thing Tertullus does on behalf of this community is, is make this like um, uh, pathetic appeal, mm -hmm. you know, like in awarding grandeur to a place that these people know it doesn't belong, you know, right. like, um, and we know because of your great work, so Roman magistrate that we have peace in our city. Like, yeah. they know that that peace is not a real peace, you know? Um, and that really irks me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the good old boys club of this scripture. I mean, it's this kind of like a lawyer. Tertullus is a lawyer that comes in and appeals to, and is it Ananias? I think um, I'm not sure who they're speaking to. Yeah, he's Ananias. the high priest. Ananias is the high priest. Yeah, high, yeah, yeah. So kind of gushing about how great he is um, in the face of Paul, and they all realize it's just kind of not not happening. Um, right. Yeah. And they know that it's false, right? Like, right. I mean, like Tertullus knows that this is nonsense. Right. You know. Um, and that, that's the other thing is that we see, like, reading Paul as, like, a true believer. Yeah. In the space of, like, Tertullus playing the game. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Right. On behalf of the religious authority. Right. That was, I, that to me this time was just really stark, that yeah. contrast. And it made me think about a lot of things, but it made me think about, like, how often have we afforded the authority to speak on the church's behalf? to gifted orators, to mm. go and appeal to people of power, to get things that done that we think should get done, mm. right? And what kinds of appeals, like gross pathetic appeals do they have to make? What kinds of concessions are they making in their, um, like the high priests think they're doing the right thing. Right. You know, right. Like they're acting out of real faithfulness. Right. What, what they have what they have behind them it's interesting too the high priests have the institution behind them right yeah like that, that's like they know what that institution is and there's this new step the, the new way and Paul Paul has the power of the spirit which people don't understand behind them but like but for the most part to the outside world it's either this sect and this way versus this institution uh, of right things, which shows you just kind of the scale to which Paul and all the apostles are up against it's like who are you going to listen to? The the church, the established um, authority in in like kind of the, the temple life with with Ananias, or this new group of rogue believers who are doing something radically different um, and who are traitorous. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Criminal. Yeah. So yeah. that's. I mean, like that's really the uh, we. If if we had thirty, if we had an hour to talk about Tertullus, I'd unpack everything. I couldn't. You know, like. The real thing that I think, but the question that it's Tertullus is leaving me with is how have we awarded not just the power of speech, right? But like I do Jennings points out that the church has been often too quick to celebrate those who are gifted with their words mm. and never ask how they're using that function. You know what I mean? Mm. That it, the gift is good in itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like who have we awarded our, 
the workings of our life and faith. Who have we handed those those things over to to get to be more effective? Mm-hmm. You know, or to like appeal to the powerful. Or, yeah. When do we bend? Like, who are we bending towards as a yeah. as a faith? Like, who are we? Um, I mean, who are we using our power? Like if we're, if we're going to talk about the disciple citizen as like a person who can be a person who uses power or a person who has no power, like a, who, like Paul, Paul can either use his power to do some good, um, right? To, to bring about um, the witness of Christ in the world and to uh, bring about change for people on the margins who need it, right? Or who are looking for it. Or you can use your power to buddy up and get what it is that you want. Um, I don't know, you kind of see the difference between the two, like a, between Ananias and Paul. Two very different yeah. things. Um, yeah, I feel like. So, So yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a ton more I could say about that. But. Yeah. So um, just being mindful of time, I'm going to – Pull us to a close on that uh, to kind of end it there. Uh, the bigger questions that we can we can address those next week. So just to tell you guys what we're going to do for next week. Um, so by now you've finished. Hopefully you finished uh, all of Acts, reading it all the way through. If you haven't had a chance to, um, certainly take a look through that. Next week we want to um, we kind of want to have a little bit more of like a meta conversation about like the experience of reading scripture together of reading acts at this time. We want to come to the question of what next. Uh, We want to talk about what we've gathered from just the whole arc of the story. But I also really want to talk a little bit more about Willie Jennings and like why it's important to read someone like Willie Jennings and just have a pretty honest conversation about some internal stuff that I was wrestling with, with bringing in Jennings and with, and, and Adam, Adam was totally cool bringing in Jennings um, <laughs> for the very beginning. Um, but, but to have like just a really honest conversation about that. Uh, Cause I think it's really important to acknowledge that Jennings is the one that does a lot of the speaking here. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we pulled in Baldwin and Adam just mentioned Cornell West, um, all three black theologians uh, and, and just talk about what we've learned or what we've gained. So for next week, just a heads up, I'll send you, send everyone an email on Monday. Perhaps we can try it, a little bit more engagement um, with video, with bringing people in, there's a way for us to bring people into the conversation. Like I could click on someone right now who's here and pop up your video if you want to. Um, you don't have to um, at all. You can reject that invitation. Um, but I'd love for next week to be a little bit more of a dialogue among us as opposed to just Adam and I talking. But um, keep that on your radar for next week. Uh, that's what we'll plan to do and we'll wrap everything up then. Um, we've had an awesome time doing it, but next week is really going to be, I think, where we, uh, can kind of reflect on the whole experience. I also want to let everybody know that we're going to send, I'm going to send out a survey um, either at the end of this week or the beginning of next week, probably right after the last session, Monday or Tuesday, um, to just uh, ask for feedback on this experience as a whole, um, what you appreciate, what you would change, uh, what you might be looking forward to in the future. Because we've been, we've gained a lot from it, but, um, but we want to make sure that uh, the other folks are gaining a lot as well, or at least even just gaining a little, I think it's helpful. So, and that survey isn't just, just for the sake of the recorded video, not just for people who joined us live, but for people who 
watched digitally, you know, like later. Yeah, across the board. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't been here the whole time, that's totally fine. If you've been watching it, you may have appreciated listening in the car um, to us talking if you've got it on the podcast. So, um, so that's all. Uh, we look forward to next week. Adam, you mind close us um, in prayer? That'd be awesome. Sure. Great. Thanks. Uh, dear God, light our path. We are quick to stumble, quick to try and find our own route, but please hold us close and walk with us carefully. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have an awesome one. We'll see you soon. See you, Adam. Peace, buddy. Bye, Ben. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to be a part of this conversation as we continue forward. You can join us live on Tuesday nights, or you can just send us an email or a series of emails over the week if you have any thoughts or questions about what we'll be reading that week or what we read the week before. We're grateful to have wide conversation partners in this. In the meantime, we'll see you next week.